Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast, The Start. The Start is all about educating startup founders and entrepreneurs about the how-to of starting a business in Asia. And today we're looking at one of the biggest challenges facing startup founders, which is where should I incorporate my business? It's one of the most commonly asked questions. And it's not just about where you incorporate your business, but as we'll find out during the next 45 minutes, we'll also talk about banking options because it's no good incorporating a business and not also thinking about the implications for banking. These are key questions that startup founders ask all the time. So to help us answer those questions, I'm joined by Dennis Poe and Gustavo Liu, who are with me today in the ATP virtual podcast studio to answer your questions. Dennis, first, let's just talk about very quick background about what you do, sort of why you're qualified to talk about setting up businesses and where the best choices are today. Hi, sure. So basically, um, um, AG's partners, right, provide um, incorporation service for jurisdictions. Uh, definitely one is uh, Singapore. And we also do incorporation in Vietnam in and also in offshore companies um, in in uh, BVI and Shell itself. So the thing is that I I'm I'm usually throwing a lot of questions from my clients, um, asking you know okay where should I set my my company mm. uh, up in, and also like um, from there you know what what is the things I should, should take care of uh, after I incorporate the company. So um, that I guess would put me into this right space to, exactly. to talk about this. Yeah. You do this every day. I mean, this is this is yeah. what you do. This is what you get paid. This is what people pay you yes. to do. So, Dennis is going to do this for free today. He's going to share his <laughs> yeah. advice because this is what he does day in day out. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP Show. Joining us on yeah. the other side, Gustavo. Gustavo, how are you doing? Welcome to the Hi, start. Hi, Graham. Thank you. Um, well, I was an ex-private banker um, in my previous life, and um, I've also co-founded um, the Hungry Lab. Um, my area is that I focus on advising the startups on the finance on the finance aspect. So, on a topic that you mentioned earlier, would be um, you know, it's not good enough to set to open a company, but you also need a bank account to facilitate um, the transfers as well as receiving funds. Right. Excellent. So we're going to approach it from two different angles. And by the way, you you chaps are both based in Singapore, right? And this is where your businesses are based. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Gustavo, I, I think it's worth knowing because you're going to be a regular on this podcast. How many languages do you speak? I speak five languages. Five really. languages. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, it's my background. It's just I don't know. It's so, sort of like the way the the places that I grew up. So right, yeah, right. I speak five languages. Yeah, with a name like Gustavo Liu, it's kind of an interesting mix. It sounds like a bit. There's something Spanish and there's like Chinese in there. What's the background? Just out of interest. Yeah. Uh, well, I I was born Taiwanese, so I'm, I'm I speak Mandarin. Um, but I grew up in Latin America, um, between the border of Paraguay and Brazil. So I speak Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese. Right. Um, and then actually. Uh, and in addition to the English, but um, the the fifth language by is not often considered as a language by a lot of people. It's actually Taiwanese, mm. um, but it's a is is more of a dialect that is very commonly used for businesses here in in Taiwan. Excellent. So we welcome questions 
from the listeners in all the languages, right? We could probably, <laughs> between us, we'll, we'll do all right. We'll cover most of the bases between the three of us. All right, yeah. let, let's start with what the top of the, the show is about. And this is probably the biggest problem is that, okay, just let, let's sort of walk through this as an example. It's because this gets you know, asked as a question a lot of times and it's a common scenario. So let's sort of unpack these challenges. Okay, I'm a startup founder. Let's say I'm coming from Silicon Valley. You know, I'm interested in Asia because I want to build a bridge between my Silicon Valley business, my startup, and, you know, maybe the the electronic or the hardware scene in China. You know, I need to have contact with the manufacturing bases. I now have a growing... A market as well in Asia, you know, a growing middle class in Asia is very important to my business, for my technology. So I want to be in Asia. I want to have a presence in Asia. You know, I spoke to a friend in Silicon Valley and they said, you know, you've got to go and set up in this country or this jurisdiction. And they said because of, you know, maybe tax, you know, you want to go to set up in Hong Kong or you want to go an offshore somewhere. So I come to Asia or before I even get there, maybe I go online and I see all the fancy websites with pictures of yachts and, you know, like tropical islands and all these sort of promises of offshore and paying no taxes on. I think this looks good. I'm going to go for this. This is how I can get into Asia. I can set up a company for a few hundred bucks. I'm good, right? What tends to go wrong in this situation? Dennis, I'm sure you see this all the time. Yes. <laughs> what, what, what am I doing wrong already? Am I going through red lights at an early stage? Do you see this happen with startup founders? Yes. Um, so the thing is that I think most people would think that, okay, now I have to go into Asia. Um, I need something, right? So, uh, well, it's, 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 it tends to be more of like uh, offshore companies features, the characteristics look more sort of, I say, attractive to get started. But the thing is, uh, there should be other factors that you should look at. You, 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 um, as one thing is that you mentioned about tax, that is definitely, uh, definitely very important. Uh, well, we all think about when we talk about tax, we all think about okay, corporate tax rate. You know, what who who is the lowest? Or um, as um, offshore companies will probably say, you know, that's uh, we are tax haven. You know, you don't have to pay any tax as as long as you you say that you're doing a business in that place in in the in the jurisdiction itself. So the thing is, is not just about that. Uh, as uh, from the example the perspective of tax. You're talking about example. Another thing is this uh, thing called the double tax treaty uh, agreement. So that sort of um, that is to actually help to to uh, ease you know that being a tax relief for um, the possible withholding tax you might be subjected to uh, for your business. Because you know as um, startups nowadays are more of like uh, doing business quite internationally. You might be working with partners um, overseas. It can be anywhere in Asia, and um, you definitely want to anchor yourself uh, with uh, the the company in the right jurisdiction to do with partners. So that's not just a fact about like okay, where is uh, where is the where is it, where is it cost effective to set up the entity, but it's also the there's also other facts uh, or, or or points that you should take note of uh, when you get started. Yeah. Yeah. Banking is obviously a big part of that. Let's just quickly yes. look at that. <laughs> Gustavo, obviously you come from the world of banking as a private banker. What do we need to know about this? I thought it would just be pretty easy. I mean, if I could set up a business, I could get a bank account anywhere, right? 
Well, for instance, that's actually a very good point. And just just continue with what Dennis was saying, is that what you know when as a banker, um, I always find that um, business owners go and incorporate a particular company because they they think that it's it's either from a cost perspective or from a um, location perspective is convenient for them. And what they end up finding out later on is that they go to places like Hong Kong or Singapore, and then they ended up getting rejected. So a very classic example would be a couple of years back, HSBC um, forced closed down a lot of companies, uh, 25,000 companies actually overnight, that were incorporated from the BVI, uh, British Virgin Islands. And a lot of these companies tried to fl- uh, flood into Singapore. And then um, Singapore looked at them. Some of them managed to open because we don't have that restrictions. But um, I would say that the best advice that I would give to a startup entrepreneur before they actually do go and incorporate a company would be to consult with a banker. So building a relationship with bankers is really important, mm-hmm. as, as important as it is to, to you know, to speak somebody who, who like Dennis, who is going to help them um, open a, a, a company. Yeah. I think that the main point here is you mentioned, Gustavo, it's changing, isn't it? It's getting more difficult. The days of, well, I, I remember, I actually did it. You could set up a, a bank account with HSBC and have the company, you know, incorporated in the Seychelles. Yeah. And those days are gone. You know, those days where you could have what they would call, you know, off record. So you would not have any record of who the director was. You know, all that's gone. It's being squeezed, isn't it? I mean, is is it sort of getting harder or we, you know, now have we found workarounds? I mean, sort of step back a little bit from the whole registration side, incorporation side, and you look at what's going on in Asia. Are things getting harder for founders? I think from a p- banking perspective, it's getting definitely tougher. Um, is also being part of all the new regulations and restrictions that has come in place. Um, if, for instance, banks such as HSBC, Citibank, they operate on a global scale. So they don't only have to fulfill the minimum requirements of the jurisdiction in which they're operating. They also need to fulfill the where the headquarter is. So Citibank, for instance, needs to look at the U.S. regulatory framework. And then HSBC, where the headquarters are in the U.K., they obey the um, British um, highest regulatory uh, framework. So from that perspective, but, but then you, on the contrary, if you look at a, at a bank that is um, a local, say, for example, Far East Asia in Hong Kong or um, DBS in Singapore, their regulatory requirements will be more based on, on the Singapore and, and Asia as a whole. Mm. Okay. Mm. So before we sort of look at your advice on individual jurisdictions and what works and so on, I'm just curious to know, in, in your sort of personal experience, what worked for you? Where have, where have you set up companies and bank accounts? I mean, that you want to share, obviously, that works because I think <laughs> it's a personal thing as well, isn't it? Sometimes you feel, oh, I can't be bothered to go through all the, the, the paperwork with this particular, you know, jurisdiction. Dennis well, has previously mentioned before um, as well on this topic, which is you want to look at where your um, business is coming from, mm. where your investors are. Um, as well as where your your operation is, right? Um, one classic example. So part of what what I advise a lot of startups um, founders is 
you just because you are doing business in say for something in the US, right? Um, but a lot of the sort of actual clients are based all over the world. Mm. Non-US source revenue does not necessarily have to be you have to come to the US. Um, somewhere like Singapore could be a very attractive option. Um, Hong Kong could be a very attractive. Just be very careful about the requirements for having those companies set up. So Dennis can probably elaborate a little bit more on that. Like for instance, Singapore needs a local director. Um, Hong Kong, I think you can have a foreign, uh, non, non local director, but then Hong Kong has a filing, annual filing requirements. So all of these kind of individual, um, distinctions, um, it is very important to take, to, to be, to be aware of, especially when it comes to opening a bank account thereafter, because the banks will want to know if it's not a business that is so um if your business your income is not coming into singapore why do you need a singapore bank account right. and you have to be ready to justify that yeah that's a good point dennis do you want to talk a little bit more about this i mean take let's take singapore as an example let's mm-hmm. talk about what the you know what the requirements are and also what makes it a good jurisdiction because it's not obviously the lowest tax ju- tax jurisdiction but let's just take a quick look at what makes it good and you know how you get in basically Right. So the thing is, um, probably I will uh, just looking into the Singapore jurisdiction itself as to set up a company. Um, of course, the one thing I would say uh, would be, as if I compare with other jurisdictions, right, is the choice of uh, the companies that you can incorporate. So in Singapore, it's actually very straightforward because most people just incorporate a private company limited by shares. Mm. And um, from there, uh, as in, um, as compared to like you, you know like U.S. companies, right? That you have uh, things like uh, uh, C Corp or S Corp, things like that, which uh, is they are all companies, but the thing is it has very distinct character. So the thing is, uh, well, I mean, most of my clients come and then uh, ask me, it's like, okay, I'm gonna incorporate a company in Singapore. Can you advise me what is the the, the company that I should incorporate? I just say. You know, it's straightforward private company limited by shares. If you are uh, gonna uh, start the uh, uh, business to look at first, and then from there, um, Gustavo is right that uh, Singapore company does need the uh, a local director, a local resident director actually. So th- that has to that means like basically it has to be a Singaporean, a Singapore PR, or it will be an employee that has the work visa that is that to show you know from Singapore government to show that he's going to stay permanently in Singapore. Mm. So uh, usually I would say that for that part, people do, uh, I mean, uh, entrepreneurs nowadays outsource them uh, to firms like, uh, for ourselves also, we provide that so, uh, that service. So the thing is, that is one uh, point. The, the other thing is that uh, definitely we are looking at other factors like the business characteristics. Uh, that is actually I think people nowadays are looking more on the compliance and tax, but they forgot all about business characteristics, which is actually uh, quite the decision-making factors to me. So I'm looking at things like uh, there can be, uh, you're looking at the behavior of the consumer, that's one thing, at the, the market consumer itself. And you're look, definitely Singapore, what is uh, one of the biggest uh, attraction is actually on its investor base. We, yeah. we have, we have, uh, quite a lot of investors in Singapore uh, or from all over the world. So um, that comes to the part where, you know, investors sometimes comes in like the, um, 
as advisors also that is like the sort of a relationship that people wants to have you know to, to find experts in certain industry and stuff i think that's another attractive part uh for for singapore being uh, like a hub for asia so uh, there's a few things that I thought I'd like to, uh, like to share. Mm. And, um, but let's talk about the course, investor part as well, because that, that's really important, mm. isn't it? Sometimes founders, yeah. they set up a business and they go to raise capital, they they raise around and, you know, they're, they're you know, established somewhere in some jurisdiction which investors won't touch, right? Yeah. Well, what happens I, in I that think... situation? Can that be dealt with? Well, um, I have done a few share swap arrangement, meaning that, you know, uh, I give you an example, like I have clients in uh, that runs business in Vietnam. So the thing is that they, they were looking for investors, but they only have a Vietnam company and they thought that, you know, okay, I'm going to do fundraising using this Vietnam company. Right. Of course, the thing is we're talking about investors outside of Vietnam. They, they are, they, I mean, most people uh, that that the entrepreneurs are dealing with, uh, you know, from all around the world nowadays, investors is not really bound by boundaries anymore. So then, you know, that's where the part that uh, they, they actually pitch to the investors and say, you know, what, uh, can you put funds into my Vietnam company? And, you know, the, for the investors, if you're talking about jurisdiction that they are not familiar with, uh, they tend to get frightened away. So the thing is, uh, the investors even uh, prompt my client to say, you know, uh, you should look into setting up like a international company. If uh, you can like incorporate it in Singapore, then you know you you should definitely do that so that we, we can invest in uh, the company so that to get your funds in. So I that's where the part that we do um, the share swap, which is uh, I would say it's a bit of a pain, painful process because it's not exactly a very straightforward kind of uh, 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 matter. But if you can get it done as early as possible for your company, that avoids the, the, the I would say the complication that when you have like say 20 or 30 shareholders and you want to sh swap them over, this is, I'm dealing with one case now which is not easy now mm. to, to, even for the paperwork. Yeah, so right, right. the thing is, um, it's not too late. It's never too late actually, but it's more of a choice of the decision when you made that, you know, okay, now I need to, if I want to pivot myself as a, uh, company that uh, is international and be able to raise funds anywhere, then you need to pick the right jurisdiction. Right. Actually, just to add on on the investor side, which is so important, and I get this question all the time, it's um, if you are having investors that are investing in specific jurisdiction that have certain type of regulatory constraint, especially something that involves taxation, um, that is definitely something you want to engage a professional um, and engage them early enough so that they can provide the right advice before the investors put in money. For instance, um, if you're investing in a startup in the U.S. as an investor, right, or you, if you are a startup in, in the U.S. and seeking for investment from somebody in Asia, um, you need to, and it's, it's very helpful and very, definitely uh, very useful to understand what are the tax implications for the investors mm. before they can get the full return because a lot of these, you know, in jurisdictions where you have to deduct um, withholding tax and capital gain tax as well as income tax, this will all impact the return versus, you know, if they had another choice of investing in somewhere such as in, in Singapore or in a startup in Australia, the tax implications are completely different. Right. So with that in mind, 
looking at Asia, when you look at all the different jurisdiction options and let's say you're dealing with a startup that could set up anywhere, how would you sort of, you know, what would be the top three jurisdictions? And it's very generic and it, it's case by case mm. in terms of what industry they're in and also where the investors are. But generically, speaking with sweeping terms, which would be sort of the best jurisdictions to consider which have the best setup for everything that you said in terms of, you know, how they're set up for the investor's perspective? I think from a transparency aspect, um, Hong Kong and Singapore has always been a very popular two jurisdiction. Um, with Singapore, just like what Danny said, is you have to be um, just very aware of what sort of the requirements there are, specifically with the directors, local mm -hmm. di uh, resident director. Because if you need to engage a local director that, and you don't have a business partner that can fill that role, um, there are services out there that you can engage um, and pay somebody to do that, but it's a cost that you have to be aware of. Um, and in the instance of Hong Kong, for example, there are certain requirements there um, that needs, that requires a professional to, to deal with. So I would say the more popular ones, just because of historically their, the, the transparency and the trade they've been doing uh, internationally, I would say Hong Kong and Singapore have been pretty um, open to it. Um, the other that is coming into place, I think then is, you, you might want to um, elaborate a little bit, I think it's Vietnam. You mentioned Vietnam before. Um, mm. But those would be my three mm. top choices. Great. All right. So the thing is, I, I agree with Gustavo also. Uh, he's very right uh, on that the, uh, the, the top few jurisdictions, actually even from statistics uh, reports is that um, the top five has always, uh, Singapore and Hong Kong has always been in the list for uh, doing business in the whole wide world, actually, not just in Asia. So the thing is that um, the the other, I mean, the first two jurisdictions uh, is definitely Singapore and Hong Kong. But actually, what I think is interesting still is that people still use U.S. company to 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 sort of um, uh, use it as a uh, investment vehicle, or, or I mean, the, to run the business mm. in Asia itself. Although I say there has some sort of uh, I say. Uh, uh, factors that doesn't help the U.S. Uh, having a U.S. company uh, like the investors and things like that. I mean, it's just the comfort comfort level of uh, the investors when you are asking them to put the fund in the company and things like that. Which uh, Gustavo is right that um, taking care of the tax matters, the you know poss possible tax implications that the investors might have will really make the startups um, more credible for the investment. I think that is a part that most Invest uh, most most startups don't do, which is uh, if you do that, I think it's a it's a sort of like an added um advantage for the startup itself. Right, yeah. So um, but I do I also do see a mixture of uh, entities. That means I have clients that have like these three companies: Singapore, US, and Hong Kong. And the way they structure it is that uh, of course the main bulk of it's always where the investors is, and the main bulk of the investors uh could have been in like US, and they they want to get into Asia. So the thing is, uh, they don't have to do a share swap, like I mentioned earlier. It's, it's just more of like, okay, when you're going to set up these uh, uh, entities in Asia itself, like say, example, in Singapore, in Hong Kong, what is your sort of, um, your, your intention, you know, from there is very important to identify the purpose of the 
the company that you're going to incorporate. Right. Why would that situation work? Why would a, a US originated company or investors choose to mm -hmm. have Singapore and Hong Kong? Well, I mean, definitely one of the biggest fact uh, is that um, for U.S. company, I mean, trend has been changing. Um, U.S. companies uh, are, are actually looking into how do they even venture into, uh, uh, like, say, the Chinese market itself in China. Mm. So the thing is, getting into the access uh, is not easy. You have um, so uh, another fact that I need to share is that uh, most most jurisdiction in Asia, right, uh, except for Singapore and Hong Kong. Uh, and the few that uh, maybe I, I, I haven't identified yet, but the thing is most uh, um, most companies in, I mean, most jurisdiction, the companies actually have to, uh, is, it actually have this thing called the foreign ownership restriction. So I think that comes into play right. also when you decide, like say, for example, in Vietnam itself, right, there is foreign, uh, foreign ownership restriction unless you apply for waiver. And it really goes down towards like, okay, what's the business activity that you're mm, doing? Mm. And then to in order to apply for the waiver, you see, and that is again, um, I mean, eventually uh, there, there, are, there are activities that you, you can't do at all, you know, you are restricted, but there, there are activities that you can actually get access to, but it will slow down your, it's like, you will slow down the plan for you to, you know, enter into Asia and stuff like that. Mm. So you definitely need to sort these things out first before you, you jump in. Okay. Before we talk about banking, I want to just round up on the tax side of things because mm -hmm. I've been through this process is, you know, coming from outside of Asia into Asia. I spent a lot of time <laughs> trying to find, you know, which was the best jurisdiction and you go into like a rabbit hole on the internet, you know, you go into all these websites and you do all the research and you go into the forums and you listen to all the voices and the people and you're trying to find like the lowest tax or the zero tax jurisdiction with the least, you know, like annual return requirements and so on and so forth. And then you, you, you spend so much time doing this. And I remember I had an accountant friend and he said, look, Graham, look, it's actually better to pay a little tax somewhere than no tax nowhere. And I was like, hmm. Okay, what does that mean? And I started looking at that. I mean, does that make sense in your case? Do you think that's good advice? I think it's a good advice as I, I always also, actually your accountant uh, uh, would be advising the same thing as I would advise my clients that if you ever have to pay tax, that means you're making money. I mean, right. the, the best is to, to sort, it's like a validation to me that the way I, I put it, okay? But the thing is of, uh, of course, you you definitely should look into uh, anyways on on um, you know the tax saving itself. But essentially, that is not just one part of it. Of course, we are talking about say example comparison of like the tax rate uh, between Singapore and Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one is seventeen percent and one is sixteen point five. But I mean, like this, what what does this zero point five percent you know got to? It, it, sometimes it's not exactly that. Uh, this this uh, factor that will affect your decision. Um, but the other thing is, like I mentioned, the number of tax treaty ag agreement that the, the country actually signed with other countries. So that if it essentially helps to put you uh, up on the map and then, you know, like your, your, your partners all over Asia uh, can recognize that, okay, mm. I can move this guy because uh, uh, they come from a, a country that the, we have very healthy, like, you know, tax policies and stuff so that 
uh, you get benefit of that bill. Right, because there's such a thing as a blacklisted jurisdiction, right? Which people need yeah. to know about. I mean, there is a there's a white list, there's a grey list, there's a blacklist. I don't know <laughs> if it's actually talked about in official terms like that, but now we're talking about banking, and you know, you can register your company in a jurisdiction, and you could basically close all options to banking just because you're there, right? Uh, this is something we need to talk about. Well, what's the reality with that? Because this changes so fast, doesn't it? That what was once mm. a good idea, a, a good you know, like I mean, a lot of the the offshore jurisdictions as well. They're always constantly moving targets, aren't they? Because you know, you could register offshore, but you know, you may then limit your banking options. So, let, let's sort of just take a, a a top down look at that when it comes to banking. You know, what what does a startup founder have to think about when they're choosing a place to start a business? Because for them, they think, well, if I register a company, this website tells me I can get a bank. It's no problem, right? What, what do I need to know? Yeah, seeking professional advice is definitely the first thing um, that I would strongly recommend, um, especially for um, looking for somebody who understands the sort of international banking as well as taxation requirements. So Dennis has previously touched on a very important point, which is the dual taxation treaties. Um, somebody who understands how to take advantage of that. But at the same time, um, you don't want to be um, setting up a company where it's considered uh, in a jurisdiction where it's considered by, um, by, the, by the, the jurisdiction that you're trying to open a bank account as a high risk, right? Um, for instance, some of the um, jurisdictions, such as, to give an example, Thailand, for example, um, oftentimes is not considered as a high risk. However, when there is a change in government um, or there is any sort of geopolitical situation, instability, um, the banks tend to take a much more conservative approach. I immediately move them to what is so-called high risk because of the perceived um, high uh, possibility of people wanting to get out, get money out of that country um, for various reasons, and so whether it's legal or illegally, but um, bank banks tend to react very uh, faster than than most companies do, and therefore you don't want to end up um, trying to approach a bank. Um, and open a bank account. Or for instance, you already have a bank account with a particular bank and the bank calls you up the next day and says, we just moved to this particular country into a high-risk zone, right. so we can't maintain your bank accounts anymore. Um, like I said in my previous um, example, HSBC didn't perceive, um, just before I think 2008, they didn't think that the BVI, the British Virgin Islands country um, incorporated companies were considered high-risk. But overnight, they decided that it was all um, sort of tax heaven, trying to evade tax from the U.S. Um, and so they they closed down all the bank accounts, and that was a very serious problem for well, a lot of. That owners. happens. That that is a big problem for a, a startup founder, right? Yeah. Well, what happens in? Let's go back to that Thai example because that that's really interesting, Gustavo. Is mm-hmm. listeners will be based in Thailand, I'm sure. So if I was a startup in Thailand. And I, I'm thinking about incorporating, or maybe I've started incorporating. I'm looking at banking options. I also want to raise around. I'm aware of what you said, which is you know the situation may change. Are there things I need to consider? I mean, how would you advise somebody in that situation? Oh, absolutely. So you have countries like Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, 
um, Dennis mentioned is they, are, they share some 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 similarities some similarities, which is the foreign foreign ownership of those um, companies. So, if you are essentially deriving most of your investors and your businesses are run in Thailand, then your you have your options are very limited. So you do have to look for. Um, you know, partners, or I'm not sure if the situation has changed now. But last I've heard is that you still need to have 51% ownership in the company by a local Thai person, mm-hmm. and therefore that can become very um, restrictive if you are trying to, you know, enter and gain market. So strategically, the only reason why you would want to incorporate a company in Thailand would be, you know, you're trying to gain market share um, in that local market and do business locally. But I would say that if your business is on the web um, and it's an international business, there is no reason why you would want to actually incorporate a company that is, that is based in Thailand. Mm. Um, having a global business with bank account that is in a more international playground would benefit you more. Um, Thailand has gone through many interesting sort of geopolitical uh, ge- geopolitical risk scenarios, right? They had the death of the of their um, emperor, um, and they also had a few sort of red shirts um, uh, sort of movements over there. So every time that happens, it affects the local banks, affects the foreign banks that are lo- that are that are connecting to the local banks, mm-hmm. as well as investors that are trying to move their money around right. um, and the valuation of those companies as well as the valuation of the currency right and all of these kind of come into place I would say that if you want to stay away from all of these sort of concerns especially if you're not familiar with with the Thai um, jurisdiction itself and the sort of inherent risks um, look for something that is nearby um, but possibly more transparent and more, um, l- more safe, safer um, locations right, as right. Compared to places like that. Exactly, because what, what's safe for you may not be safe for an investor as well. That's something right. we need to consider. So if I was based in Thailand, if my business, if I lived in Thailand, and, but my business was all over Asia, is there any reason, I mean, is it completely legitimate for me to go to Singapore and set up a business there? And, you know, is that, I mean, if, I'm assuming that I don't know anything I'm, or, you know, whoever's asking this question doesn't know anything about the legitimacy of that because it sounds like, you know, maybe it's something I can't do or is it possible? Oh, it's absolutely possible. Um, just you an example, this, um, there are hubs across Thailand that are very popular for startup founders um, to to be incubated there just because you have this pristine sort of beaches and very nice sort of environment. You have all the um, amazing entrepreneurs sort of cooped up in one single place and you could be working on your startup in the morning and go surfing in the afternoon. Um, and they're beautiful places. But do you really want to have a company incorporated in Thailand when you don't know any Thai person who can take over 50% ownership? Uh, you know, there's a matter of trust there that you need to rely on. Um, the bank accounts, which banks do you open in Thailand, um, all of these considerations. So what a lot of these um, business owners end up doing is that they fly across the ocean, which is only like two hours flight, into Singapore, and they establish the, the bank accounts in Singapore with a company incorporating Singapore. But most of their operations and sort of um, building of the development of the, of the business is done in, in those hubs in Thailand. Right. And so th- where if, although your physical presence 
is in Thailand, it doesn't mean that you have to have all of your business operations and your banking relationships in that country itself. Right. So let, let's just sort of go through this this case study. Let's say I live in Thailand. I'm a developer, all online, more or less. I have a team all over. I have a team in Vietnam, maybe. I can set up a business in Singapore. Can I get a bank in Singapore? Is is that an option? You know, will they touch my business because I live in Thailand? Absolutely. Well, it, actually, before I answer that question, it really depends, depends. on what. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it depends yeah. again on what is the nature of your business and yeah. where your company, uh, your your customers coming from, where are your investors, right? right, right. So um, these questions, it, this is a very popular question, um, and the way that we go about approaching it is, if you want to open either a bank account in Singapore or in Hong Kong or anywhere at all, you need to be able um, to answer. Why do you need to have a bank account there? Right, right. And the, so, the answer's not tax, is it? That's never the right answer. No, <laughs> you never want to go from <laughs> no, tax. You never want to say that, which is probably the reason why a lot of people do do that. But that's never the right answer. Right. Well, it could be, but then again, you know, it you have to be like if you're an investor, for example. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's tax consideration is is probably one of the top priorities, yeah. right? So that is very normal. But if you are deriving consumer um, sort of expanding and they are they are buying products from you um, online and stuff like that, then you want to look at a jurisdiction that is very friendly, that is able to help you do the transactions, um, where you're going to have the, the infrastructure in place, the, in, the, the technical infrastructure in place to re- receive those funds as well as make those transfers. So I would say there are certain jurisdictions that are especially friendly, friendlier uh, for this type of um, um, assistance, um, f- and, and I think Dennis will have a lot more experience in dealing with mm. with, um, with with companies, advising companies, or in terms of where should should they repatriate their funds in terms of where uh, you know where, where versus your oper- the operations. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, basically, well, Christopher is right. Uh, when we do incorporation for our clients, right, we we do accompany them. To their bank account opening because most of the case they I mean I, I guess um, question, I mean banks you ask usually ask questions that that are more like you know how how Graham you have uh, asked the question like okay um, uh, uh, what what is the answer do you have to provide and things like that yeah, is yeah. Uh, is another whole thing altogether uh, I guess Gustavo is very right that you know on the part about the tax uh, being attractive and stuff is sort of like a uh, a, a, a fact that people do know about that, but the thing is, you, you because it's like um, a bank account opening uh, application itself uh, is not just about like uh, uh, it's not like a sort of like an entitlement kind of thing. It's like okay, I, I set up a company in Singapore, I should have a bank account. It, the banks have the rights to to reject yeah, that, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think that is something that uh, I see in my clients is that they, when they come, they didn't really think about it that sense. That's why I, I, I think Gustavo point earlier about like, you know, better to, to be uh, having a relationship with a bank and then talk to them yeah. about what you intend to do before you actually jump into it is, is definitely a, a good point, a very right point. And um, so that is, this, that is quite right. Um, the thing about that, like, uh, for example, like the, uh, like, like Thailand and Vietnam and stuff, right? I, I do see things like the, like the the when you're going to do a remittance and stuff, the the administration also it it is it, sort of like uh, in places like in Thailand and Vietnam it gets difficult. Right. 
Yeah, but while well, else you're talking about like first, you're looking at bank facilities also. That's another point that say uh, in Singapore we, are, we we have tokens and stuff that and you can use the tokens anywhere in the world. Uh, as long as you have them, you can trans, you can do your remittance and stuff. And banks in Singapore are promoting on internet banking and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah. So just just going back up a little bit, Dennis. Uh, I think we we got to kind of like just share something about that whole sort of bank opening process. Is you, you mentioned mm. it, and I, I I wanted to bring this up. This whole KYC. So yes. you know, like know your client or know your customer, right? Which is so important mm. to banks. Like you say, uh, people think they may be entitled to a bank account. But actually, I mean, the bank wants your business, but the last thing the bank wants is like some, you know, like newspaper investigation and like why this bank has like 10,000 accounts for like some gambling fund, right? They, they don't want that, right? They just don't want to be the guy who authorized all those bank accounts, right? So that's really what worries them, isn't it? So you just kind of have to sail through that sort of KYC process and just say the right things. And that's why it's really important to go to that meeting and it has to be in person as well i don't singapore i think you have to go and meet the bank right it's quite difficult yes. to do it remotely i Actually, mean in some places you can right uh up to this point when i look at uh different jurisdictions right uh when you're talking about being uh sort of like uh like uh international company or uh type of companies like like in uh, jurisdiction like in singapore uh hong kong and I, I'll give you a very uh, interesting example. It's actually Estonia. I've been reading about them. Mm. So uh, uh, the thing is that um, they are all very fr uh, friendly jurisdiction. But the thing is, the bank account opening is that you always have to always arrange for a physical meeting for that. I think that's helped to serve as part of the KYC. Right. At, the, at least the bank bank officer get to see the face of the directors itself, and not the. Is, that sort of helps to complete the KYC uh, process. Um, the, but the other point I think about, uh, I would like to raise is that from how I've been seeing for all the different bank account openings, right? Uh, the more the bank knows about you, more details, uh, even the f cash flow, how it's going in and out of the bank account, and also like the activity, very detailed website and all the things, as much as you can give to them, the chance of you having the bank account open will be uh, definitely higher. Right. Yeah. Okay. And go with somebody like you or Gustavo and sit in that meeting because in a way I think you know as much as it's a process and it's about filling in forms there's a there is a relationship and there's trust in there isn't there I mean mm. uh, Gustavo you, you probably know this better than anybody is that banks have sort of the high street method of opening your bank account and I don't know the right word but then they have like the side street method which is sort of you know they have their broker or their fixer don't they who kind of deals with everything else which doesn't kind of fit into the high street model i mean can you tell us a little bit more about that well definitely i mean that relationship is so important in the sense that the banks always want to know more about the businesses and what then is touched on which is your source of wealth right where is the the funds that is coming into the bank originating with and then the point that you mentioned earlier reputational damage is something that the the last thing the banks want to be dealing with i mean paying a fine it's it's a big issue but it, it won't kill the banks but reputation yeah. um it's something that will hurt them and it's, it's very hard to recover um, it could bring a bank to a collapse. So in the instance, for example, um, SBI, that bank had a major 
uh, reputational issue because they assisted um, the one MDB um, back in Malaysia a couple uh, years ago in terms of transferring um, fund, funds into Singapore. So the last thing banks want to be involved is in, in, in sort, of, sort of reputational issue. So um, having a good relationship with your banker, it also means that the banks understand more about you. Um, you might think that you're working to a bank and you, you are tell, what you're saying, it might not be necessarily what the banks are interpreting. So the banks, the more the banks understand about your business, the more they can um, express what your business is about on your behalf. And so you have that kind of situation where the, the founders are, are t- or the business owners are telling the banks something, right? Um, painting a story, but yet the banks understand more about that business and the potential of that business. So they see a lot more potential or they see a lot more sort of problems with the business regardless of what it is. So what is written in, uh, as a report during the account opening process is not often known by the founders. So I would say, you know, when you have a good relationship with, with, with a particular banker or with the banks, they can help you and in filling up the, those forms in for for bigger businesses or or different type of entrepreneurs or different type of businesses, the banks can even write a report on their behalf. Mm-hmm. So it also depends on what what status um, and what stage are you in in the in, in your your business life cycle. Is there any? I mean, apart from the obvious, which you know could be like you're dealing in narcotics or weapons. Is there any sort of things <laughs> that that banks don't like to hear when and, and startup founders kind of make that mistake when they're they're opening an account? So yeah. these mistakes? Well, the first thing I hear is that, let's say, for example, when I was um, as a banker in Singapore and they, the, the, the business owners come over and it's, and number one question I ask them is, well, you're running an operation in Thailand, let's say, and your customers are all over Europe. Why do you need a bank account in Singapore when right. there is very little relationship here in Singapore? And then the first answer would be, oh, because it's lower tax in Singapore. <laughs> that is a definitely no. Next. Um, yeah, next. Yeah. <laughs> um, they probably have crossed you out um, at the back, you know, on their back. Right, right. Um, but what you, you want to be able to justify is why does it make sense to run your funding in Singapore? So in this particular instance, which is very real, Right? They might have customers in, in Europe, but they, they have um but what they fail to communicate is that the investors come from Singapore. So mm, that is an angle that they the, the founders might have completely missed out. And this is back to my point, why is it important to let the banks know where is it that your entire business because by simply missing out investors, which is essentially your source of wealth, right, for running your business, you completely made your your business case for opening a bank account against you mm-hmm. but since the bank you know if the banker had known this and they've helped you out on this they they would have told you that you know you this is an important point that you need to let us know right so another point is the seniority and the familiarity of of the banker with working with international businesses is just as important because a lot of bankers might be new on the job or they might not be as experienced with working with international businesses. So oftentimes they can't, they just take in information as you you give them. Um, And, you know, whereas a more experienced banker 
might be probing for or, or asking you more sort of relevant questions mm. that could help you as opposed to, you know, um, damaging you. Mm. And I guess what you're looking for is a banker who's already dealt with people like you before. Right. That's really important, isn't it? Because they, they have a pattern. They know it's not a risk. They can, you know, apply what they know from companies previously that looked a bit like your company, right? Right. The other point I want to make is that um, be aware that there are certain requirements by banks. So the banks all differ. They are not the same. So, for example, if you were to walk in, um, the last I heard, if you walk into NZ, um, the Australian and New Zealand bank, right, in Singapore, to open a foreign, non-Singaporean bank, um, a bank account for a company, you will need to pay a fee to the bank just for the process of doing this know your client assessment um, versus if you were working into a different bank, um, for example, OCBC or UOB, which are local Singaporeans bank, they don't always charge you. So these are fees that you need to be aware of. Some banks do charge fees just to open a bank account mm. and it's because it's costly for them to do the assessment um, because your company is not incorporated in Singapore. Excellent. Yes, I, 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 I did like to, to, uh, to uh, agree with Gustavo on what he just said that uh, I done some of the account opening Interestingly, even like uh, a local bank like DBS, if you choose to have the uh, banking relationship manager to, to uh, process your account opening, they charge a setup fee of 500. I mean, that is, that is uh, uh, you get to choose that or you can, you can go to the branch and then you, you get it uh, uh, open, which there's, there's no setup fee. Mm. So, I mean, uh, that definitely is again, another things or uh, facts and things that, that you might want to uh, I mean, the, the the startup founders might want to point uh, right. look at it. Why, why would I choose Actually, that? Why, why would I choose to pay what five hundred Singapore dollars, which is about three hundred US, right? Why would I why would I choose to pay that with the relationship manager rather than go through the high street route? Well, just to add a point on this, is five hundred for DBS, for instance, is five hundred if it's a simple company like uh, yes, Island. correct. If you have two layers, so for I had a company where they had the shareholders on a Dutch, um, a Dutch uh, company, which underlying has like Singapore company and Virgin, British Virgin Island companies and Seashells company, mm. and each one of them require like so those kind of multi layers they charge I think two thousand or two thousand five hundred. Yes, I I remember that now. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for pointing it out, Gustavo. So understanding those those fee structures that the banks will charge. So how how is that? Um, how do banks approach that? Right. It all depends on how much work do they need to do in the back room um, to assess your the paperwork. So a company that has straight shareholders um, would would be very simple. So all I need to do is assessment on the the people that are holding. Um, this company and the director itself. So that is that is quite straightforward. Just submit the passport, submit the the background, the resume, etc., and they will be able to assess that. But when you start to have two or three layers, um, then things start getting more complicated because then you have to justify why do you need so many layers? Um, why do each of these layers are in different type of jurisdictions? So in Dennis' previous example, if you have a company that is Estonia per se. Or in somewhere like, for example, um, uh, like um, Anguilla, right? 
to get information from those companies take um, a, a lot more time. There is a time zone um, issue as well where mm. the agents over there will be working different time of a, a time zone here. And then how, how relevant and reliable are those information? Sometimes these companies are incorporated by, com, by corp, uh, what we call corpsec or agencies that are not well-known. Um, so those needs to be those corporate companies need to be assessed as well. So all of those will add on to cost and time to the banks. So thank, that's why uh, the banks will add on layers um, and mm. make it more expensive. Well, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground today, and we've only really <laughs> scratched the surface. So I'm, yeah. I'm sort of, you know, conscious of the time. I, I want to just ask: is, is because this is such a fast moving industry and sector not just in terms of the regulation but also banking as well is there any kind of structures which were once popular which now have become a lot less popular or impossible to work i mean i mentioned for example like the the hong kong you know incorporated owned by seychelles top company etc etc so i mean that that's sort of gone out now i mean that's that's really hard to work at least from what i've heard are there any because these, these sort of follow trends don't they just curious to know what's sort of gone out of fashion and what's sort of coming in as, as sort of like new options that people might want to consider. Well, I think from what I've seen is that um, definitely having offshore uh, companies to set up in the local jurisdiction, right, will be will, will always be the sort of a tougher one uh, of our fashion now, actually. Uh, Last time, you know, like I, I seen BVI companies and stuff like, as you, you guys rightly point out, right, is that they, they, they are incorporated, they, they want a bank account in Singapore and they, they can prove that, you know, I, I run business in Singapore, I'm just using a BVI company to, to, to you know, to transact and stuff like that. And the bank do open that bank account, but it's just sort of like a case by case and mm. sort of like a one, one two case uh, success, being successful out of 10. So I think uh, that and that is definitely uh, changing. I've seen a lot of people that set up the company with their own individual name, uh, the founders themselves, instead of their own, uh, instead of using the the companies that they they have uh, in their home country and things like that. And that in that sense helps on the the KYC that you know Gestapo mentioned about also. So well, yeah, that's that? definitely. What's that point, Dennis? Just talk a little bit about that. Mm, so the thing is that I you see the thing is I I, I do due diligence check on my own uh, clients also. So when we do, I mean I I I go, I go through that process and then uh, if you ask me to search on uh, do a due diligence search on individual, it's a lot more easier than to you know do a search on the company itself where you have to see whether the the different layers of the the corporate structure itself and and right. you know see whether they are in compliance and things like that. So. That is in that sense is it, what I seen that helps you know in in you know having your your due diligence done properly and faster in that way also. Mm. So I would incorporate a company you know if I wanted to be as upfront as possible. Graham Brown Industries or whatever Graham Brown Limited, I put my name in the name of the company. <laughs> right? Is that what you're saying? No, not really. It's just that the shareholder of the company. Uh, it should be. I mean, it, it, all I see is uh, individuals right. becoming the share uh, shareholders. Although they do have the the com- their home uh, home based companies in their. I mean, back in home. So yeah. Right, right. As opposed to, for example, having on my, you know, many layers list, and things. Exactly. On, yeah, <laughs> on the shareholding list, I would mm-hmm. have some sort of you know very sort of 
not traceable names, for example, like, you know, Golden yes. Panda Industries registered <laughs> in BVI, for example, that sort of sets up, you know, red flags for due diligence, doesn't it? Actually, I have a, a perfect example for that. Um, and, and to answer that, that question, it really depends on where you are, um, your nationality is, right? Mm. So, for instance, in the past, um, Taiwanese businesses, they, they used to love to incorporate businesses in Hong Kong because it was an international jurisdiction and it was just across um, the, a flight. It was one hour flight across. So it's very convenient for them to fly across. But however, ever since um, China and Hong Kong kind of just became one, one entity, um, a lot of these business owners started to um, close down their Hong Kong incorporated business and bank accounts and going over to Singapore. So again, the regulations are, are very live and they are all, they're very they're evolving very quickly. And so engaging the right um, professionals is, is extremely important because you want somebody who is able to advise you on not only just the current changes, but on what is happening around the world and, and how can change, right. uh, how can those changes impact you. Um, and well, so what's the point about the Singapore, you know, and Hong Kong? Because that, that's a really important one, isn't it? Is that Hong Kong seems to have, you know, become less popular as an option in recent years and people are shifting to, to Singapore. What would that be? What were the main drivers in that? Be Obviously, it's not half a percent tax rate that's made the change, but there's <laughs> a lot more to it than that, isn't it? You know, what, what are the main drivers for doing that? I think fundamentally, the changes has, hasn't really been great. It's mainly the, the perception of what it is, the, the involvement of, of the Chinese government into Hong Kong. Um, as the news on this political arena starts to, to make headlines, right? Um, business owners start to, re they want to react before anything happens. Um, so I wouldn't say that Hong Kong in itself has changed that much as compared, there, there were fundamentally some changes, but they weren't that great of a change. Um, it's just the perception that's what might happen in the future. Right. And so Singapore, in a sense, which is much farther away and it has very little sort of political ties in turn in, in the sense you know as Hong Kong and it also does not really border um, anywhere in China so um, a lot of businesses have, have looked into Singapore recently as a comparison to Hong Kong um, but as I said previously there are fundamentally different requirements it's not a one-to-one -one change um, there are benefits to be having a Hong Kong company, there are benefits to having a Singapore, but just as the same as having um, some disadvantages. So it really depends on how you, you're going to run your businesses. I would say that um, in, in, from a global scale, um, these two jurisdictions are still very popular. It's just in the past recent years, we've seen more and more people switching from Hong Kong to Singapore. Mm, that's very interesting. Okay. Gentlemen, it's been fascinating and a very good sort of first start of the start looking at, you know, some of the, the key challenges and questions that startup founders have. I think one of the, the big frustrations is, you know, I can go online now and I can just go to one of these offshore services providers and, and I, I could buy myself a, a company in BVI for $500. It seems very easy and it sort of promises me everything you know, where should I start with this process? Because, you know, I don't want to go to the forums because, well, you know, that's never a good start, really. But, you know, where do I start? How do I actually get the process moving? Because, you know, if I talk to my friends back in the States, what do they know, right? Because they're not based here in Asia. 
How, how do I actually take steps forward in this? I think from for this right. Uh, well, I I I've been writing. Um, for I mean, uh, based off the last podcast uh, that that we 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 had, so I I did like to share the the details and stuff on my website, and I mean definitely sharing with uh, our audience and uh, things about the you know you, you want facts, you want character, uh, written stuff to to see you know okay this is the 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 points that I might want to take note because uh, as again I do, I don't think it's a one size fit all for. All businesses, like you know, I should incorporate in a certain place. You, you have uh, the businesses might have um, different purpose uh, or different goals that they're trying to achieve. So uh, definitely, I think uh, if you are saying where do you find information, right? I mean, uh, Google is sort of like uh, it has information all over the place. It, it can get a bit overwhelming. It's dangerous, but though. I think, isn't it? Yes, and it's dangerous. Like sometimes you. you 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 aren't, uh even if the content is that you aren't sure what they are talking about also so I think could also, be out of date too yeah well, yes, exactly correct. from what we said today right yeah. correct and and things has been changing even like for example Singapore law has been changing BVI offshore's uh, regulation has changed you know uh, over the past two three years and it has been quite I say a substantial change on the laws itself so best to still speak to um the professionals that is in the, the certain jurisdiction mm. before you get uh, sort of like launch yourself in and then you know get started because uh, as I say again if no if you don't do a, a good planning right that this that small things uh, I mean we call it small things huh? but uh, this administration uh, matters and, and uh, it may turn out to be a nightmare you know for mm-hmm. you to continue running business so definitely that's the, the, the point you need to uh, still need to do some research and you know uh, speak to people best to speak to people and you know um, then from there get it going don't don't hesitate too much also I think that's a very big point when you do run the business mm. yeah great advice Gustavo what would you recommend I mean on the banking side some of the things you said today is like you know you need to build a relationship with the bank you know you should speak to somebody I mean I can't walk into a high street and say hey you know how do I get an account for my offshore company here, right? I mean, you're speaking to the wrong people. Where is the, the sort of the easy route in to speak to the right people? Or, like you say, the people with experience who maybe understand what you're trying to do? Yeah, I would say there's no easy route, but I would say it's how much time you, you devote into understanding this. And as a business founder, nobody cares about your business more than you do, right? So from this perspective, is, is the important thing is um, talk to as many uh, as to a few, a couple of accountants, a couple of bankers. Um, understand who you are dealing with. Um, are you getting real, you know, advice from people who have done this and and are experienced this area, or are you getting advice from people that have just simply heard from somebody else? So this, all of this, is very important. The other thing is, um, I mean, if you're based in Singapore, we do host, you know, regular meetups. So um, to be uh, attend some of these meetups, um, regardless whether it's on on finance in itself or is it on banking topics, but at least it will get you connected to people who understand this area. Um, and I believe that there are various um, groups in different parts of the world that are that, that are often um, involved in talking about such topics. So the, 
getting that network is extremely important. Understand where to seek for help. Um, it's it's it will be able to. It's the difference between taking your business to the next level versus being stuck there for a very long time. Yes, don't get stuck, make the start. Well, <laughs> gentlemen, thank you very much for your advice today. And I'm sure that people are, you know, now who those are interested in, in the process will be checking out the, the details that you shared with us. We'll put all the details in the show notes, which you can get at atp.show slash start. That's atp.show slash start. That's not easy to say. So, um, and also, I mean, if you're on Twitter, you can tweet us at Asia Tech Pod, use the hashtag start so we know which show you're talking about. If you have any questions to ask Dennis and Gustavo about starting your business in Asia, any of the topics that we've covered or any topics that really are getting you stuck, as Gustavo said, you know, not getting you started, then we'll be happy to have a look at every question that gets tweeted at us. And, you know, maybe we'll, you know, if we have an answer, we'll deal with it in a, a future podcast together so gentlemen thank you so much that is gustavo liu and dennis poe all the details in the show notes. we'll be back next time for more of the starts you've been listening to asia tech podcast find out more at atp.show